forever safe in the Savior's hands. You are more than my words could say. I'll follow you, Lord, for all my days. Fix my eyes, follow in your ways. Forever free in unending grace. Cause you are, you are, you So it's great to see you guys this morning as we gather for worship. One of the things that we've been doing over the past few months is having ministry spots every week, highlighting different ministries in the church. We also want to give an opportunity for folks to share a little bit about God in their lives. And so I've asked uh, uh, Tim Nichols if he would come and share uh, about some experiences that he's had in the last few months and uh, what God has been doing for him. Hi there. Um, thanks for the invitation. Um, I, I feel like some of you might know some about my story and others might not know anything, so I thought I'd try to give sort of a, just a quick summary. I, um, last fall, I, I was having some really minor chest pains uh, that ended up with me in the ER uh, where they couldn't find anything wrong. Um, I thought, you know, I was probably about as as healthy as any 50s or 30-something person might be. Um, but, um, and interestingly, they didn't find anything wrong that day. Sent me home, but then my, uh, my 
primary care physician suggested a, a routine chat test afterwards just to be sure I was okay. And it was there that a sharp technician down at Jones found that I had a mitral valve problem and, in fact, were concerned enough about it that they packed me into an ambulance and sent me to Strong. And, you know, when I had left work, left for the academy that morning, I hadn't even known that I had a mitral valve, let alone that something could go wrong with it that would threaten my life. Um, and uh, I, uh, <clears throat> uh, they, uh, after I had a catheterization up at Strong, they came back and said I had severe mitral valve regurgitation um, that, and recommended immediate surgery. I, uh, uh, so I talked it over with Olga and the kids, and we kind of quickly decided that it might make more sense for me to have it down there in Virginia where they could take care of me. And so um, uh, that night after I got back from Strong, I was trying to think about packing to go for who knows how long to Virginia and wondering if I'd even live long enough to come back and trying to think about leaving plans for a sub that was going to have to finish the semester for me. And I, uh, and all the while, while trying to avoid uh, exertion, exertion and stress, as they told me to do. Um, uh, uh, and the next day, we drove uh, 12 hours down to Virginia and went straight to the ER, and they admitted me for what uh, would begin a 20-day hospital stay. Um, I had the surgery on November 20th, um, and, uh, and as uh, you may have noticed, I did live. Um, I, uh, I was really fortunate to have a nationally renowned surgeon down there at, at Centara Heart Hospital and got great uh, care from the hospital staff and from Olga. Um, my recovery ended up being faster and smoother than the doctors anticipated. Uh, and, and seven weeks after surgery, I was able to return to teaching at the academy. Um, and being back here now at church and back at work with my students and back here with all of you, uh, I find myself wondering sometimes, did that really even happen? Like, did I fall into the twilight zone or something and didn't notice it? Um, uh, 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 but I, I do, in fact, have a seven-inch scar as a souvenir to remember it by, which I'll spare you from showing it to you right now. But um, I do have a, a couple of, of precious memories uh, from that kind of harrowing uh, journey that I thought I might share with you this morning. Um, and uh, uh, and uh, I, um, forgive me if I get emotional because I, I, I find them even more emotional than usual uh, following this uh, journey. Um, that first day when I was up at Strong, before I uh, even realized that anyone back here knew what was going on, I, my cell phone rang and it was Pastor Wes who said, I heard... I heard what's going on. Can I pray with you? Wes had done that uh, three years ago when I had cancer, and he did it he, nine years ago when I lost my job. He was the first one to come running up to campus to sit down with me and pray with me. And so I'm very grateful for our pastor and for his amazing grapevine. Um, uh, on that morning, as I was uh, waiting to be taken to surgery, my colleagues and students up at the academy all gathered in the commons to Pray for me right as, right as surgery was starting. Um, Janice later sent me a picture of it, which means a lot to me. Also, on a year that I thought that the Grinch had stopped Christmas from coming, I, uh, when Olga and I came, came back from Virginia, in fact, were able to come home in time for Christmas, I found that my kids had come in early and had decorated the whole house inside and out. Decorations had never looked more beautiful to me, and Christmas had never seemed sweeter. <clears throat> um, 
Throughout this whole ordeal, I felt blanketed in, in love and, and prayer and support by family and friends, uh, by, uh, by all of you here at church. Um, uh, also, on, on that night when I was waiting to leave for Virginia and then later lying in my hospital bed, I found myself kind of wondering about all of this. I had, <clears throat> I'd had cancer back in 1994 and again in, in 2015 and then open heart surgery. And I was like try, saying to myself, is God trying to tell me something and what is it? Because I really don't want to have a fourth lesson. Um, uh, and when I had had that false alarm back in September, I I found it as kind of an annoying nuisance. I I, I missed my mom's 85th birthday celebration. I missed work for a few days. I had ended up with big hospital bills at both Jones and Olean and a hospital ride. Um, and ironically, this week my cardiologist told me that those chest pains really had nothing to do with my mitral valve problem, uh, and that my arteries were completely clear. But I realized what an astonishing thing that it happened, because if it had not, I would have never found out about this mitral valve thing. And a doctor later told, told Olga and me that, that uh, if they would not found it when they did, it would have very likely been a life-ending event. Um, and so this is all still pretty recent to me. Uh, as I try to sort this out, I just had a couple of uh, preliminary sort of reflections that I thought I'd share with you. Um, the first being, you know, thinking about what are we to make with life's sort of annoyances and problems like my inconvenient chest pains last September. I think we're quick to look for God's uh, sort of blessing and um, and provision in our lives when there's good things. Um, but, it, but it's much harder to see and accept and appreciate them when they come in the form of aggravations and misfortunes. I, I see like, you know, speaking for myself and other Christians, like we tend to focus on post on Facebook, I'm so blessed because this happened or that happened or I had a baby or we got a house or I got a promotion. Uh, uh, but we, uh, we, uh, it's harder for us to look for God's blessings at other times. I have, several times I've had to remind myself of what um, Betsy uh, uh, Tenboom said to her sister Corey when they were at the Ravensbrook uh, concentration camp when she told uh, Corey to be thankful for the fleas. Um, and looking back across all the years of my life, I realize how frequently God has spoken to me uh, in good times and in bad, and, and more often in a still, small voice than in a loud roar, and, uh, and that it's important to remember to uh, see his love for you, even if it comes in the form of, of chest pains or fleas or something like that. Um, what I saw as bad, God had used for good. Um, Olga and I have this strange long-distance uh, marriage thing that we have going on because her work is down in Virginia. Um, it seems so hard at times. And yet, because of that, I ended up at one of the best heart hospitals in America. Um, and so I resolved to look for God's uh, love in both the good and the bad. Um, and uh, as an, an, an example that occurred to me, uh, thinking about my work at the academy, that that, you know, I may have a student that is, is the hardest to love, but that may be just the one that God put there for me to love for, and for, to teach me a lesson and for me to be able to come alongside that student. Um, during that week that I had to anticipate surgery and wonder if I, whether I'd live or die uh, was a lesson in sort of evaluating my priorities in, in life. Uh, almost everything that had seemed enormously important to me on the morning of November 7th did not seem very important at all uh, as I lay there waiting to have my chest cracked open. 
Instead of worrying about grading papers and paying bills and Christmas shopping and getting the car inspected, which, by the way, I totally forgot to do, um, I, I found myself wondering, did my life matter? And, and what kind of a legacy am I leaving for my kids? And, 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 uh, and had I fulfilled God's purpose for me in this world? And, and do my students know that I, that I love them? Or do they think I only love homework and history? Um, uh, God used so many people throughout this whole adventure, Olga and Kathy and Suzanne, the Smithleys, uh, um, uh, total strangers down in Virginia, one of whom kept Tilly for me for five weeks when I didn't even know her. <clears throat> I had a favorite nurse down there who, when she got transferred off my floor to another floor, she worked for 12 hours, and at the end of her shift, she'd come and sit down and check on me. Um, some anonymous person back here came and mowed my lawn for me. I don't even know who it was. <clears throat> I find myself realizing that all of, all of those people were Christ to me. And I ask myself, who does God need for me to, to do that for? Um, how can I be a vessel of his love to others? And will I be able to listen and hear when he calls me to that privilege? <clears throat> and so... I feel incredibly lucky that I got not just a second, but a third or fourth chance, whatever I'm up to by now, at getting it right. Um, I don't know what lies ahead. Uh, but when I returned to, to school, I found this on my classroom door, uh, uh, the, the academy verse for the month for January. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, big red letters. Seek his will in all that you do, and he will show you which path to take. So... Uh, uh, I think that's all I need to know for now. And I thank you all for, and thanks for the invitation to speak. Thank you so much, Tim, for sharing with us. Let's stand together now as we sing our praises to our gracious God who is always good, always good to us. Lord, you are good and your mercy endureth forever. Lord, you are good and your mercy endureth forever. People from every nation and tongue, from generation to
darkness trembled, Jesus, Jesus. You silence fear, Jesus, Jesus. You make the darkness tremble, Jesus, Jesus. Father, it's an awesome thing to think about what you do in this world and our lives through Jesus. We thank you that you are more powerful than all evil, all the brokenness of our lives, all the hurts and the pains that we struggle with. You are greater. We claim that truth today. As we gather today, we come with a variety of burdens and concerns. We ask for your grace in our lives and in those connected to us. We pray for comfort for the grieving. We pray healing for all who are struggling with physical issues. We pray for for guidance and, and hope for the future. We pray for Restore restoration of broken relationships. We pray for strength about the tasks that are before us. Father, we pray not only for ourselves, but for others as well. And we pray for First Baptist Church of Hume and Pastor Stroud. And may your grace be upon this congregation of believers as they worship you and as they serve you. We pray for our nation and ask that, that you, would, uh, you would help our leaders to want what you want more than anything else. We pray, Father, for, for all who are recovering from disasters and tragedies, and we've seen more this week again. We ask for your healing presence. We ask for your strength. We pray for your church here and around the world. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to reach out to to children in our county and other counties around us through Royal Family Kids Camp. And as plans are being made and preparations and recruiting is being done, we pray that, that you will bring the right people together and that this camp will once again be grace and peace and Jesus to children. We pray, Father, for your church around the world. We, we think of the Christians in Saudi Arabia, this nation where it, it's so difficult to be a follower of Christ and such a small percentage of the population claim Christ. And yet, Lord, we see some, some movement toward more religious freedom and we pray that that would continue. And out of that, your church would humbly serve your people would bear witness to Jesus. Father, thank you for hearing our prayers. Thank you for, for always hearing as we come to you through the name of Jesus. It's in his name that we offer these prayers. Giving thanks. Giving thanks to you for all that you have done, all that you are doing, all that you promised to do. Amen. If you are able, would you please stand for the reading of the gospel?
Mark 8, 22 to 26. They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, Do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home, saying, Don't even go into the village. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. I want to remind you about the, um, the potluck that we're hosting uh, right after the 11 o'clock service. Uh, you feel free to go on over to the community room. Uh, you can hang out. You can help with some setup if you want to. But we'd love to have you stay. If you came and you weren't planning to attend, come anyway. There's always lots of food. And we'd love to have you. It's a chance for college students to interact with folks in the church, that uh, in the community. And so we hope that, that uh, you'll take advantage of this opportunity. One of the things that I, I think sometimes we often miss is that God's intent for creation is for us to be whole. I I love reading Genesis chapter 1 because it is such a vivid picture of God's design for his people, that we would be whole, that we would flourish, that we would fill the earth with the goodness and the grace of God. This is God's intent from the beginning. And, and our sin has marred that and skewed that. And we, have, we now have a skewed view of God. We have a skewed view of God's purposes. We have a skewed view of, of each other. We have a skewed view of ourselves. And something in us says, I'm not really sure that's what God's design is. I'm not really sure that that's God's plan. Which is exactly why reading the end of Revelation reminds us that ultimately God's great plan that was marred by our sin will be restored and more. And I think when you read the Gospels, and you read the stories in the Gospels of Jesus' healings, and of Jesus casting out demons, and restoring relationships, and setting people free, all of the things that Jesus does recorded in the Gospels are a glimpse of what God's intended purposes are and will eventually be. Wholeness. Healing. Freedom. I think probably all of the the stories of what Jesus does have nuances to them. And and one of the I think one of the nuances of this story that we read this morning is that Jesus has to lay his hands twice on the man for him to be fully and completely healed. Now I don't know exactly why that happens, but I, as far as I can tell that's nothing like that is recorded any place else in scripture. And and I have a feeling that at the heart of that story, at the heart of what happens here, is that I think God is, is wanting us to understand that when we are so willing to settle for a little bit 
of God's vision. A little bit of God in our lives. A little bit of God's transformation. A little bit of God's healing. He has so much more in store for us. So often we settle. This is good enough. This is, this is okay. I, I, don't, I, don't really, I don't really want to see that much better. Because I think underlying this story, at the middle of this story, is this question that Jesus asks him. Can you see anything now? And what he's really asking is not just can you see anything now, but do you want to see more clearly? Do you want to see better? I didn't realize that what I was missing watching television until I saw HD TV. Do you have that experience? I mean, people talk about it, and I'm like, can't be that different. Really, I mean, it's, how much different can it be? And then I watched a golf match, and I went, oh, okay, this is really different. Wow. I've never seen green, that green before. And, and it's like, it was just brighter and clearer, and everything came into focus. But I had no idea until I saw it. I thought everything was good. I thought what, I, what we had done was fine. And now when I go back and watch analog TV, I can't do it. It hurts my eyes. It gives me a headache. Everything looks blurry to me. It's like I can't, I can't watch that anymore. And I suspect as there are new technologies coming out, I hear about 4K and HK TV. Someday they're going to look back and say, I can't watch HD. Man, it just hurts my eyes to watch that. Because there's always more. I think there's something about that in the gospel. That the great things God does in our lives, the great transformation God does for us, the healings, the work of God in us, the spiritual transformation, all the things that God does are awesome. But he has so much more. We're so often like the church in Laodicea that, that Jesus speaks to in Revelation 3. And he says to them, buy gold that from me, buy, buy clothing from me. But then he says, I want you to also buy salve for your eyes to heal your eyes. And the fascinating thing is that the problem in Laodicea is that they are lukewarm. They have settled. We don't want to be cold, but we're not sure we want to be hot. We'll just stay right here. This is good enough. And Jesus says, it's not good enough. I have so much more for you. You see, when we see more clearly, we see God more clearly. We see God at work in ways that we were missing before. We we see God involved and doing things in the midst of the pain of our world and the darkness of our world. And that's why it's so important to come together for worship and to sing the songs and and to pray your prayers together and and to read the scriptures together. Because... Every week we come together, we're challenged, we're encouraged. Our our eyes are opened a little bit more to the reality of God. That's why we had Tim share a few moments this morning. Just just something to remind us, God is at work. And they may be in small ways. We often just look for God in the magnificent things. God is at work in everything, every moment. The little things. And he's calling us to see him more and more. 
I love the story in 2 Kings chapter 6. It's one of my favorite Old Testament stories where uh, the king of, of Aram is upset with Elisha the prophet because he keeps telling the king of Israel what he's doing. And so he comes and gets his army and he surrounds Elisha's house. And the next morning when Elisha's servant comes out, he looks around and sees nothing but soldiers and army and horses and chariots. And he runs back in the house and he says, Master, they're all out there. We're surrounded. And he says to him, our army is bigger than their army. And I can see the guy looking out the window at the curtain going, really? It looks like a lot of people out there. There's only two of us in here. And he says, Lord, open his eyes. And he opens his eyes and he sees the army of God. This angelic army surrounding this other earthly army. And there's something about God wanting to do that for us. To help us see him at work when we wonder, when we're confused, when we're not sure, when we're afraid. When it feels like God is not doing anything to see him. You would think everybody would want that. You'd think all the people who follow Jesus would want that. But quite frankly, often we're hesitant about that. I think we're hesitant about it maybe because... When we're honest, we know that for God to work in us, for God to do his work in us and in the world, it's probably going to involve some messiness and some disruption. Surgery always does. Change always does. There's some interesting nuances to this story. One of them is this strange thing that Jesus does. He spits on the guy's eyes. Now, we have the stories where he spits on the ground, he makes mud, he spits in his hands. But here he spits around the guy's eyes. I'm, I'm reading the story and I'm thinking to myself, if I'm the guy, I'm thinking, there's, there's not a no spitting option here that you could use? This has to be the only way you can do this? And when he asks the question, so can you see anything now? I think I'd be tempted to say, that depends. Is there going to be more spitting involved or are we done with that? Because I'm kind of good without the spitting. And you know, there is something about that with us. We say, God, really? Does it have to be this messy? Does it, have to be, does it have to be like this? I want God to bring transformation without changing me. I want God to bring transformation without, without making, making me, causing me and asking me to, to change the things that I'm doing. I want God to fit into my ways. But transformation can't take place that way. It doesn't happen. It, there has to be real change that goes on. There has to be something different that happens. It, it's the only way that it can take place. And sometimes it's messy and sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes it's disruptive. There's a story in John chapter 5 about this man who's been paralyzed for 38 years. And Jesus shows up and he says to him, do you want to be healed? What kind of a question is that? Of course he wants to be healed. Who doesn't want to be healed? What fascinates me is the guy's answer is not, of course. His answer is, well, I don't have this, I don't have that, I couldn't do this, I couldn't do that. He's making excuses. It makes me wonder if he isn't thinking to himself, I know being paralyzed is terrible, but people wait on me, people take care of me. I don't have to worry about getting my own food, I don't have to worry about finding a place to stay. Everybody takes care of me, and if I get healed, I have to start taking some responsibility. And I'm not really sure I want that. Now we look at that and we go, that's nuts. That's crazy. But just stop and think about the things in our lives that are 
that are less than whole. Things that are even detrimental to us that we cling to, that we hold on to. I also wonder if maybe sometimes our hesitancy is because we realize that when you see, you see. To see clearly is to see everything clearly. We see God, but we also see pain. And we see darkness. And we see struggle. And we see difficulty. And we see hurts. And we see ugliness. I mean, it's awesome to be able to see. I cannot imagine what it's like to, for the first time, see a sunset. See a sunrise. See a rainbow. See a smiling, laughing little child. But you know that when you see those things, you're also going to see mud and trash and garbage. And you're going to see painful things too. And there's something in us that says, I want to run away from the painful things. And even if that means I don't see God as clearly and I, and I don't have the experiences God wants for me, the pain is just overwhelming. It's too much. I get that. It's hard. God is wanting us to see that he's bigger than the pain. When we see God, we understand that even when we have to see the pain and the struggle and the difficulties of life, God is bigger and God's at work. We trust him. I think there is also in the seeing the pain is that we see people as for who they are. We begin to see them as human beings instead of as objects. I'm fascinated by the fact that after Jesus lays his hands on him the first time and he says, can you see anything? The guy says, well, I see people, but they look like trees walking around. They look like objects. It is so easy for us to have just enough vision to see people as objects. To see them as people that we can use to make our points. To see them as people that, that we take advantage of. To see them as people who do what we want them to do. We use them in the way we want to use them. It's Jesus' argument with the Pharisees and the religious leaders over and over again. They keep saying to him, they keep doing, they keep acting, showing, using people to trick Jesus and to try to, to get the better of Jesus. They, they, they use people any way they can in order to fulfill their purposes and their desires. And Jesus refuses to do that. Sometimes we, it's a matter of, of how we see people who disagree with us politically or, or theologically or whatever the case may be. And we vilify them. And the minute, and, and we dehumanize them and, and and we make them sort of look, feel like objects to us. They're just, they're, they're not really people. They are the enemy to defeat. They're the enemy to crush. They're the enemy to argue with. Because what matters is being right. But when we begin to see more clearly, we begin to see not just what people are doing, but why they do it. We begin to see the pain and the brokenness in the hearts of people. It doesn't mean that it's not an excuse for their behavior. But it gives us much more compassion. 
and maybe to even be channels to help God work healing in their brokenness and their pain. It's hard to see sometimes. It can be overwhelming. That's why we need each other. We need to remind each other. We need to help each other see, help each other understand, help each other grasp. This is not just a a story about a, a man who was blind. This is a story about all of us. All of us who can see a little bit. And God's calling to see more clearly. This is, this is a, really about the church. I'm fascinated by the fact that this, Mark tells us this healing takes place in Bethsaida. Bethsaida is known for a couple of things in Scripture. It's the home of Philip and Andrew and Peter, three of the disciples. And it's, it's also one of, the country, one of the cities in which Jesus says, woe to in Luke chapter 10. When Jesus says, woe to you, that's not a good thing. You don't want to hear that. He says, woe to you, Bethsaida. If the miracles that have been done, in, that were done in Tyre and Sidon, that were done in, in your city, they would have believed. But you keep doubting. This is a place of doubt. This is a place that seems like doubt just infiltrates the whole city. I think that's probably why Jesus takes the guy by the hand and walks him out of the city before he heals him. To get away from that doubt. And that's probably why he says to him, don't go back to the city because that place is just going to, just going to discourage you. And it makes me wonder, are we a church that encourages seeing, encourages faith, or is a hindrance to it? What kind of atmosphere are, are we doing? What, what, what are the expectations when we come together? Next week, we're going to, we're going to spend some time uh, praying for each other. Praying about God in our lives. Praying for God to do miraculous things. And, and we want to be a place where we expect God to do more for us. To expect God to help us to see. To, to give us better vision. To heal us. And to work in us and transform us. And we want to come every week with that expectation. Because God wants to do that. I think clearer vision inspires clearer vision. Someone was saying to me last week that when they were young, I don't know, fourth grade or so, they got their first pair of glasses. And when they, when they put them on, it was like all of a sudden they could see what they never could see before. And they're walking around with their mom saying, do you see that? Can you see that? Do you see that? Do you see that? Do you see that? It's like, yeah, yeah, I see it. I've seen it. I've seen it a long time. But you know, when you're around people like that, what ends up happening is you begin to see things that you were missing before. Because people who have never seen it, notice it. While the rest of us who see it all the time, walk past it. And we need that kind of encouragement to each other to see God at work. That we might desire clearer vision. I've had glasses since I think about fourth grade, third or fourth grade. And I've, you know, I've worn glasses, I've worn contacts, I've kind of gone through all the soft contacts, hard contacts, the whole thing. When I go to the ophthalmologist, it's usually a frustrating experience for me. I don't know about you. For one thing, I hate the pressure of that thing on my eyes, and they're asking you, which is better, one or two? I don't know. They look kind of the same to me. They, they flip them back, one, one or two. 
I don't know. All right, how about three or four? I don't know. They look the same. How about one and ten? Now, I can tell the difference between one and ten. But one and two, three and four, I, I cannot tell the difference. And all the while I'm thinking, my eyesight for the next five years depends on how I answer these questions. This is a lot of pressure to put on yourself. And, and I never, I, feel, I always feel like I get it wrong every time I do that. But the other thing that frustrates me is that I have an astigmatism. And so when I look at the eye chart, especially when I turn off the lights and the eye chart is kind of shining on the end of the room, everything has this sort of glow around it. All the letters have this glow around it. And they, and they sort of just, they blend out. They bleed. And, and I want the doctor to be able to give me glasses or contacts or something that will fix that completely. I want that to be done. I want to be able to see straight lines, not this blurry stuff. And he can't. They do the best that they can. They, they, they give me the best prescription they can give me. They do the best things they can do. But ultimately, because of this condition I have, it, it's limited. And here's the thing about the vision of God in our lives. We will never see perfectly, spiritually, while we're here on this earth. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, now we we see imperfectly. One translation says we see through a glass darkly. And until the day that Jesus ushers in the kingdom, there will always be a certain level of distortion and blurriness in our spiritual vision. And something in us wants to say, well, then I guess there's no reason to worry about it. But God says to us, no, 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 no. It may not be perfect, but it can always be better if you'll let me. If you will let me, I will improve your vision. I will clear your vision, give you clearer sight every time you let me. Because Jesus is the great ophthalmologist. Who knows exactly what we need. And who can give us clearer vision. As we keep living out our days. He's asking every one of us the same question that he asked this man. Can you see anything now? But he's also asking us. Wouldn't you like to see more clearly? And the question is, is do we? Do we want to? Father, in this moment of silence, hear our prayers. Father, you've heard our prayers. We pray that you would answer our prayers. Through the grace of Christ. Amen. I'd like to invite our ushers forward as we give back to God.
through our tithes and offerings.
receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. Thank you.